0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Ray Finkel. Laces out, Dan. Let's dim the lights and kick off the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fast Forward to Success, the new book from legendary businessman Johnny Rose of Rose Video. Pick up Fast Forward to Success at your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a film podcast where we like to tease apart films, usually ones that we like, sometimes ones that we do not. And, you know, see what they're made of, what makes it tick or what, what do we like about it, uh, what's not working for us. Sometimes we find films that shouldn't work but end up working. I don't know. I know that creating is is pretty difficult and Getting into a, a good creative state of mind is always tricky because uh, it's, it's easy to be led purely by inspiration, but there's times whenever you know you got to get stuff done um, in a creative field and you kind of have to push through it and create your own inspiration or your, your creative flow, which is pretty much my entire like, existence right now. You know, the last several years, I'm, I pretty much only do creative work. Uh, and so quite often clients do not care whether or not I'm in the mood for it or not. Like I, I need to show up ready to go or sit and write by myself and get ready to go. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that you like to do in order to create your creative mood or get into that uh, inspirational moment? Um, is there anything or do you just yeah. kind of push until it's you're, a good, you're ready?
1: It's a good question for me. I think it's, yeah, I have the same problem, man. Uh, for sure. I, I think it's just starting and being okay with whatever happens. That's the biggest thing. Like, you know, whatever you do, it doesn't have to be good. Hmm. It doesn't have to be something that you're proud of that you want to ever let anyone see or hear or whatever. Or like it just you have to just start. And that could be, you know, if I'm writing a piece it could be with a sound or just turn everything off and be quiet in a room and try to block everything else out but an idea right and whatever the first idea that you latch on to is even if it's you know an acorn of an idea just run with it start something and then after 15 minutes if you don't like it 20 minutes if you don't like it stop you know reset. Okay. No, I, this is not going where I want to go. Okay. Whatever. I, or I don't like this, you know, whatever, but give it a chance, you know, uh, because you really never know. I mean, a lot of stuff comes out of nothing, uh, meaning like it's something that you, you typically wouldn't think that, a you know, an idea would come out of, or, you know, a script idea or a sound or, or whatever. So yeah, that, that would be it. just start and, give yourself a chance and the opportunity and the leeway to suck, you know, that it's mm-hmm. okay. Like, even the best writers, I mean, you've, you've talked about it before. I mean, even the best writers, they'll sit down and they'll write something that they think is awful that, you know, like a, a fifth grader would write, but just to get through it. Right. And then they come back, maybe you could tell that story. And then they come back the next day, like, okay, I've got a turn to polish today. Instead of, oh, I, I've got nothing and I'm starting from nothing.
0: Yeah, know. that was a really encouraging. So there's these two stories that popped up on a subreddit that I follow called, you know, r slash screenwriting. And they popped up within a day or two of each other. One was Dan Harmon, who's the writer behind like Community and Rick and Morty and some other stuff. Not that he's the only writer on those shows, but uh, he's the creator of those shows. And he... He tells a story about like, man, everyone's afraid of making stuff that sucks. But you got to kind of push through that and commit to it, but not to to something that you're going to love, but commit to writing the crap like you just said, like write the turd and then, you know, you'll come back tomorrow. And then the one thing that we're all good at is critique and criticizing and you're your own best critic. So save that. Save the critic hat for now. Take it off. Set it to the side and have on your garbage hat, you know, and you, you write your garbage. Um, But then when you're done with that garbage, then put on your critics hat and say, oh, this sucks. And here's why that should be better. And that should be better. And then use those ideas to make it better. Um, And then there was another writer that basically said the same thing that uh, was the writer for uh, a big writer for the Simpsons. And he was like, man, I tried to give myself an opportunity by sitting down, writing crap and it's uh and I know it's going to be crap and sometimes I don't even fill out all the ideas I just kind of have these little placeholders of disagreement like Marge says oh I want to go do this thing and Homer says we're not going to do that thing that's terrible and Marge groans or whatever um and he's like literally just putting in these kind of blank spaces in the script uh to come back to later and he's like my my goal is just to get through that first draft and then the next day I come in and I and I look at the script and I'm like Oh my God! The the garbage fairy left me this pile of crap. Um, <laughs> thanks, garbage fairy, because now I get to do the fun work of actually making it good. Um, and now I'm gonna, you know, do the same thing. I'm gonna go back through and say, Oh, this isn't funny at all. Like, what's funny there? Oh, that's funny, where um, that lands. And then it just kind of slowly builds. And now, and for me, that was really encouraging because uh, that's been my approach to this uh, script I've been working on for the last couple months, where I will write a scene knowing that, man, this isn't great. This isn't singing, but I just need to get through this scene because it's part of my plot points and I'll come back to it and just committing to coming back to it and move on. And some of these other scenes really work well. uh, But there's just this one character that's really hard for me to figure out and write. And almost none of the scenes are like really popping. Uh, And so I've just been you know, fighting with myself and then uh, to come across those two bits of writing advice I was like oh it was really comforting because i'm like oh you know this isn't like the worst approach in the world it, it no one is preaching this idea that you need to know exactly what the scene is going to be before you write it and instead it's quite the opposite like man just get through it and then come back and, and figure out what's working what isn't and, and and work on those pieces use your self-criticism to your benefit instead of to your detriment of never picking up the pen in the first place definitely
1: yeah Absolutely. It's also, you know, I, I don't know how different it is for the mediums, you know, if I'm working in, if you're working on a script, right? Like it could be that you, I mean, you're always working on it in silence, right? You're always working on it in a, in a complete vacuum. So that's seems maybe even harder, you know, mm-hmm. because like for me, I get the ambiance if I'm working on a track of the track itself. Like I'm listening to, it. how do I feel in this section? You know, how does it make me feel like it's coming out of the speakers and hitting me, right? Like physically, um, but when you're writing a script, it, that you're only as strong, I guess, as your your mental capacity in that moment to accept that feeling, right? So yeah. for me, it was it's probably a little bit easier because, you know, either- That instant you know,
0: feedback of, is this playing or not?
1: Right. Right, I got that instant feedback and for you it's like it would be it would be like if you were an animator mm. right and you made an animation and then the next day you came back and you watched it like you can literally see it hitting your eyes and you feel it you know like with that 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 hitting your eyes but writing it has to like I don't know bubble up in you like you're reading and it has to like kind of come out I guess and I don't know that feels feels like it would be different
0: yeah i think you're right and it it demands a very strong mental image of what's happening Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's always the tricky part is writing with multiple voices in your head because you do you have to really try to fully realize this character and and their worldview and then try to understand another character with a completely different worldview uh, coming into contact with that and them both kind of pushing for their own desires or arguments. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like because I'm such a gray area person, I do this regardless. Like it's hard to pin me down on an absolute belief on almost anything because I see Mm -hmm. all the angles of like, well, I can see why someone would be upset with this and why that other person would be upset with it. I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. to some degree, I mean, it would be nice to your point. And maybe this is where rehearsing and even just getting you uh, in a room and saying, hey, read this part with me. That would probably you know be useful it's something that i really have never done and it's it's worth exploring you're going to yeah that's right we're working on a short mm-hmm. uh, here pretty soon and mm-hmm. that's our next step is hey let's start working through this scene a little bit and so that'll be fun i'm excited to do that because it's a new yeah. area of creative i don't know uh, writing that i haven't tried before
1: yeah huh.
0: i'm excited to see how that comes out yeah <laughs> me too so you're shooting in in june uh that's the plan that was the plan i talked to uh shook yesterday over text after our conversation and he might want to do july or maybe that was before our conversation he might want to oh, do no, july no. yeah you mentioned maybe july but okay nice it so right like now a, we like we've done. yeah we've started penciling june but then the conversation with him might push it to july and so yeah gotcha. i don't know within the next two months i guess is the Good. The goal. Yeah. I just Good. I need to get awesome. and start making more stuff, man. Just create. Yeah, It's going to happen. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, uh,
1: what are we doing today, man? Yeah. <laughs> so today we are covering Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin, the, the original. Uh, so you have, if you haven't seen that, please pause this episode and go watch it. Uh, they are spoilers about the story and we don't want to ruin anything for you.
0: For sure. We'll touch on a few things. We'll definitely go down a lot of the story and writing how they push the story forward um, and some of the themes. Uh, We'll also look at a couple of notes from the screenwriters themselves um, and other such stuff and things and stuff.
1: And a synopsis of the film. uh, A kind-hearted street urchin and a power-hungry grand vizier vie for a magic lamp that has the power to make their deepest wishes come true. Directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Screenplay by Ron Clements and John Musker. And Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, starring Robin Williams as Jeannie and the Peddler, Uh, Scott Weinger as Aladdin, Linda Larkin as Princess Jasmine, Jonathan Freeman as Jafar, Gilbert Gottfried as Iago, and Douglas Seale as Sultan. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. Hang on a ah. second. Whoa! Wow! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you
0: from? What's your name?
1: Uh, uh Aladdin. Aladdin! Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al? Or maybe just Din? Or how about Laddie?
0: Sounds like, here, boy. Come on, Laddie.
1: <laughs> I must have hit my head harder than I thought.
0: You smoke? Mind if I do? <laughs> oh, sorry, cheat. I hope I didn't sing the fur. Yo, Rockman. Haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. Yeah, yo, yo. Say, you're a lot smaller than my last
1: master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? Wait, wait a minute.
0: I'm your master? That's right. He can be taught. What would you wish of me? Be ever impressive.
1: The one contains. But never duplicate, duplicated, 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 duplicated. 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 Genie of the lamp, right here, direct from the lamp, right here for your very much wish fulfillment. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa!
0: Wish fulfillment? Three wishes to be exact, and x nay on the wishing for more wishes. That's it. Three. Three. One of those twice. No substitutions, exchanges, or refund. <laughs> now I know I'm. Dream- Robin Williams is such a weirdo. I, I, like, you could have just kept greatest.
1: going. <laughs> yeah, <I know>.
0: yeah <laughs> the greatest. So, I don't know.
1: Uh, fan of Aladdin in general? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of pretty much all uh, Disney animation. Mm. You know, I think that especially the old stuff. I think that uh, it's very unique on storytelling and no. yeah, and is beautifully done, and they cast. You know, I think I cast it well and everything. It's been so long since I've seen this movie, so I really didn't know, you know, what to expect or what to think. But just the old school animation, man, it just, it just hits you in the nostalgia button, you know, yeah. I think that, yeah, I don't know, I try to introduce my son to these old, older animated movies. That my recommendation at the end of the uh, the episode is gonna is one of them, and just to make sure that like you know look all of this new stuff you know into the Spider Verse that kind of stuff, the amazing world of Gumball, uh like all of these th- all these shows and movies, uh, with these new animation styles, is amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and it's something that I definitely want to introduce you to so you can see um, what's possible. But I want you to see where it came from, and where it came from is a bunch of people in a huge room drawing all day every day for years like every second is 24 to 30 i think 30 i think with animation it's like 30 frames a second but or something like that Mm. but every second is 30 30 different drawings well more because they layer them
0: right right so normally it's 12 frames a second and they double the frames is that how they do it yeah and then for certain moments they might overcrank it to 24 frames a second but in order to cut cost yeah they'll just double print the frames amazing amazing
1: but it was all done by hand and so and i so i just love that uh i mean and i thought the story was interesting and they and they did this thing where i mean we talked about it yesterday where they would put aladdin in these situations where you thought oh it's it's over you know there's no way there's no way and then he would get out and it's classic storytelling of just make it as bad as you possibly can. Uh. And then he finds a way to get through it, to get out or, and even when, so there were three, there was one where he gets thrown into the ocean and we didn't realize, I didn't realize um, when I originally watched it, I knew about it now, but (laughs) that he had the lamp. Right. Mm. And it was the stress of like, Oh my gosh, get to the lamp, get to the lamp. And then when uh, Jafar sent him to the other end of the earth in the in the freezing snow, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, he's toast. And then oh, the the carpet is with him, great because he launched the whole entire building <laughs> over there. And then um, and then at the end, where you know Jafar is this this huge like snake, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is the end. And then he has this idea. It's just they find really super creative ways to put him in these positions that you can't imagine how they would get out and then they get out and it's that classic well you can talk about it but it's the classic you know put them in as as bad a situation as you possibly can and then find it, it you because you already know the way out yeah. right so yeah it's yeah, it, awesome
0: it is nice like like you're saying uh even in, in the cave of wonder whenever they're trying to escape like let's put every roadblock in their way that we possibly can because we already know how huh. they get out so let's try to Get your hopes up and make things really really bad and yeah let's trap the the carpet under a rock and let's have aladdin banging his head against the rocks on his way down and everything we can possibly throw at him because we already know the genie's going to get him out anyway so mm. it doesn't matter what you throw at him right now because the salvation is around the corner the audience just doesn't know it and so right uh, as a storyteller you can make things as possibly difficult and uh, dreary as you can because yeah, there's there's a secret key like right right there under the hat. Why not?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How did you? How long has it been since you've
0: watched this? Ah, uh, I mean, I usually don't go more than a few years without watching it because this is my favorite Disney film, and so yeah, probably three, four years maybe. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't usually get too far away from like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. I usually stay like in that ballpark. Although those are probably the only two Disney films that I watch consistently. The rest I enjoy, like you said, like, I think they're all great, especially in this era, this whole little mermaid eighties, nineties era. They just really came back to life after, uh, you know, 20 years or so of kind of being off the map. Yeah. So it has been a while, but it still works for me. Like it's such a swift story, you know, um, they don't, there's, there's very little downtime and, uh, and room for boredom like they're just constantly putting on the edge uh, and yeah I love it 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 always works for me all the performances even the some of the CG like in the carpet ride like it gets a little CG at a certain point and that's still that's fine like I, I it's brief and so you don't get pulled out for very long but I remember in the theater, I remember watching this as a kid in the theater and that whole escape from the Cave of Wonders just felt thrilling. It felt like you're in a roller coaster because it's so big on the screen. It's just taking up the whole thing. And it feels like an IMAX roller coaster ride uh, because of how big it is and the way they shot it or the the way they drew it. Yeah. Thrilling. It plays. It's dramatic. Uh, you have a great villain. Yeah, it completely yeah. works for
1: me you've got your you've got your uh, comedy relief and iago which yeah. i remember the, when watching it the funniest part of the entire movie for me was when iago was acting like the flamingo yeah yes what are you looking at buddy and he knocks his leg out from under him i Uh-oh. lost my mind <laughs> laughing so hard <laughs> oh man those were in the the heydays for gilbert godfrey right yeah man and it was just that moment it was it's a one moment and i remember it being a little bit longer than that or something but it was just like three seconds and i laughed so hard i mean the the robin williams stuff is obviously brilliant and, and, and enjoyable and awesome and makes the movie for sure but that moment for some reason just got me
0: agreed no i completely agree like that is okay. one of my might be my favorite moment too uh, it's just hilarious <laughs> because this dodo pink flamingo just kind of jumps into the frame and he's kind of dopey eyed and uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and gilbert godfrey's voice and the whole shtick was just perfect yeah so good And then even after that yeah. when he gets the lamp and he starts imitating uh jafar uh, mm-hmm. like it's all just hilarious to me yeah i love iago yeah like If, if you take away Robin Williams, like he's easily the funniest part of this film, every part of him. And I was actually reading a little snippet from the writers and they said that in their mind, the way they kind of wrote Iago was that, uh, and it's obviously not addressed whatsoever in the film. Um, it was just kind of a frame of reference to, to work from was that Iago or uh, Jafar cast a spell on Iago that took away all of Jafar's emotional qualities And threw them into uh, Iago. And so that he could be as focused as possible on achieving his goals. And so Jafar is really kind of an emotionless, you know, bag of dirt. uh, Who's very goal oriented. And that's why there's this interesting, fun contrast between those two characters. Um, You have this really heightened, emotional, silly thing in the bird. That really plays well against the, the straight man of Jafar, the villain um gotcha yeah oh that that's interesting i never would have thought that until just reading yeah. it like 10 minutes ago <laughs> wow that's
1: brilliant actually because then it feels like a a full character
0: yeah between the two of them yeah that's, yeah you're that's taking true.
1: some they're together so you're taking something something away from this one giving it to this one it becomes so that he becomes all of one thing and he is all of one thing from this thing and together they make a whole that's really
0: brilliant wow God. And it's fun, like just run with that. And it's fine that the audience doesn't know. The audience doesn't need to know every single thing. It's fine to hide things from the audience as long as it isn't pertinent to the surface level plot points. It doesn't change the fact that Jafar is trying to get the lamp and he's trying to rule the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't impact any of those elements that we know surface is compelling the story forward. And yet it's still fun and it's informing the way you write these characters. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I thought that was really clever. Wow. Um, so cool.
1: what what notes do you have for this?
0: So I mean on on the basic level and this is something that I read a lot of wordplayer.com as a new screenwriter. Uh, when I stumbled across it, I was just living and dying by every article they wrote. And Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, even though there's four screenwriters on the on the credit, I feel like this is really their their script, like Ron and John uh, both obviously directed and had tremendous inpo- input into the story. But it sounds like as far as developing the story and the beats and all the the humor was really born out of, you know, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. And then, of course, uh, Robin Williams becomes his own there's he's 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 Robin Williams like he's going to take it wherever he wants um but their their perspective in writing stories is very plot focused where they're constantly thinking about how to drive the story forward uh and if you go and watch a lot of their films whether you're talking about this or pirates of the caribbean i don't know uh shrek like they are constantly thinking about what are the characters needing to do next what happens next? And why are we doing that? They put a lot of their attention on that. And so whenever I'm watching this movie, I'm, I'm thinking about their style of writing and how it really stays true to this film. And so one of the first things I just kind of jotted to myself was how the film just flies right by, like the story constantly is pushing forward. Uh, and so just from a high level, if you think about all the all the main kind of sequences like we start with meeting Jafar and what he wants. And then we meet Aladdin, what he is versus what he wants to be. Uh, And from there we meet Jasmine and then what she wants versus what she's being forced to be. And then we meet, you know, Jasmine meets Aladdin and then Jafar kidnaps Aladdin in order to get the lamp. And then finally we meet the genie and what he wants. And, of course, uh, Aladdin and the genie make a deal. Uh, And then Aladdin transforms himself in order to impress Jasmine and win her approval. And, of course, Aladdin and Jasmine go on a date. He wins her over. But then Jafar tries to kill Aladdin, uh, but he survives and gets the Sultan's blessing. But then Jafar gets the lamp and becomes a ruler and a sorcerer, and then he banishes Aladdin and he takes Jasmine. And this is that moment you were talking about where all is lost. Usually in a, in a film, especially in an adventure like this, you have that moment where all is lost. And, of course, the 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 bittersweet aspect of it, and Aladdin says it himself, is that that could have been prevented had Aladdin freed the genie. If he had stuck to the deal that he had made with genie and freedom, that this never would have happened. And so now Aladdin has to come back and fight Jafar. And he loses the fight. But he wins the battle of wits, which is really interesting because we uh, just flesh that whole sequence out a little bit more of him fighting Jafar. It's really fun because he tries to to get the lamp to regain it and he fails. And then Jasmine tries to get the lamp and she fails. Abu tries and he fails. Carpet tries and he fails. Everybody's trying and everybody's losing. And that really helps add to the to the effect of is there any hope left? Uh, because we've already, from the beginning of that sequence, established that Genie cannot assist. He cannot help. He is completely beholden uh, to Xeno Psychopath, as uh, he, he jokes. And then once everybody fails, Jafar is kind of taunting everyone, right? Uh, he traps uh, Jasmine and he unravels. The, the carpet, blah, blah, blah. Now he's taunting Aladdin, right? And his taunting kind of becomes his undoing, his own unra- unraveling, because he he's yelling at, you know, Aladdin, without the genie, you're nothing, which is the perfect, smooth transition into the trap. Because he's now giving the, Aladdin the idea that that's right. And that's that that applies to you, too, because the genie is more powerful than you'll ever be. And he wishes to become a genie himself, of course. And what's great about this little sequence uh, is that we see the fear in everyone else's eyes except Aladdin's. Like you see genie like, what are you doing? And so his fear of fulfilling the wish sells the danger while concealing the victory. And it's this kind of free tension to set up Jafar's uh, surprising defeat. And that's just beautiful. And so we have that whole sequence, Aladdin fighting Jafar and losing yet winning. And then the last sequence is Aladdin setting genie free. And so this whole movie is just kind of these, we're going to meet this person. We're going to meet that person. We're going to meet this person. Now these two people are going to meet and now we're going to meet a new person. And now we're going to transform him and he's going to win over the day. And yet he fails and uh, becomes his own undoing. uh, And it's just pushing one sequence after another. It's very story-driven instead of character-driven. And the trick in that, of course, is whenever you're telling something that's so plot-focused, you need to start to intertwine depth of character and motivation all seamlessly into these plot points. And it's especially important in a cartoon because you're cursed with the attention span of children. (laughs) Like. You need to do it in a way that is entertaining and makes you care about these people, gives you uh, the depth of who they are and what they care about while you know intertwining that into why we are in this next scene in the first place and how that plays into the larger uh, elements of uh, who wins and who succeeds and what does it matter. And in, and in this case, this is like an 85 minute movie. Like if you subtract the credits, this is only 85 minutes. Uh, and so that's that's mind-bending whenever you also start to include music okay now we also need to include you know 30 minutes worth of song <laughs> like what <laughs> like it is just breathless in that way but it feels effortless you don't feel breathless watching it you feel completely in the moment and entertained uh, and it's 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 in a complete enjoyment and it's you know, using humor as all, as these perfect segues, right. Aladdin tricks genie into getting him out. And instead of like belaboring that point, it just becomes this like little punchline, like, Oh, I feel sheepish, you know? And it's like another just punchline and it's just brilliant. And I'm sure to some degree it works without Robin Williams to some degree, but my God, and it, Kind of goes back to, you know, most Robin Williams films like this. Like he's only sprinkled in there. Like if you really think and and subtract Mm -hmm. all the Robin Williams sequences, instead of an 85 minute film, maybe it's a 65 minute film or maybe 70. I don't know. But I'd be surprised if he's in more than 15 to 20 minutes of this thing. But he's such a breath of life that you can't help but feel like he takes over the movie. (laughs) So it, yeah
1: and the moment in the moment where he says uh that he can't help all of a sudden his like he's been that that airy light presence the entire movie until even when he realized that Jafar was his master there's still this like lightness but at that moment you know everything changes and so for you as a viewer you're thinking oh
0: now it's this is this is the real deal he can't even
1: he can't help uh it's it's over
0: so, yeah, yeah, that's a great point, point. and the way they, they emphasize that with his stature, right? And he becomes this yes. darkness, and he's you can feel his spirit is still there. He's like, "I'm sorry, so, I'm sorry, kid, I can't help you," um, mm-hmm. and he's just towering over everybody, uh, and it, yeah, it really underscores that idea that Aladdin is on his own. If he's gonna if he's gonna win, he now has to do it not only against the genie. But also against the most powerful sorcerer in the world, um, yeah, that's that's a hell of a thing. And so, that kind of pulls me into the theme. There's this there's this running theme of people trapped, looking to escape their prisons. Um, and so Aladdin right feels trapped in poverty. He's without title or value, and um, later, of course, he's trapped by his own lies. Uh, because it's he's refusing to be himself, and that is his ultimate trap. Uh, he thinks his trap is in poverty, um, but in fact, it's it's the opposite. It, he's trapped by not being satisfied with uh, with just being Aladdin. Just hey, I'm out. Uh, and then you have mm-hmm. Jasmine. She feels trapped in her palace. She feels trapped in her lack of autonomy to choose her own destiny. Um, of course, you have genie who's far more trapped by his lamp and his masters that he has to serve and obey. And then last you, you have Jafar, which is interesting because it's kind of an inverse because Jafar, uh, desires power and position, which I think become his trap. That becomes a thing that engages him at the end, um, those desires for those things. And ultimately to some degree, they're all trapped by their desires. Maybe least of all Jasmine, because you know, She's stuck in, in, a, in a palace and in a society that doesn't value her for herself. Um, and she's probably the only character that has an authentic perspective. Um, I guess Genie, too, because he really is trapped um, in, in a far more literal way. You know, he's, he's cuffed to the, to the lamp. And so I guess uh, Aladdin and Jafar really have little to... Their, their trap is in their their desires, um, whereas Jeannie and Jasmine probably have a lot of overlap uh, in, in who they are and what they want. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because uh, this film could have gone a lot of different ways. And I'll link to an article where where the writers talk about uh, setting up your rules can be good and it can also be a trap. Um, and in this case, they said that when they walked into the script, the the version that they were looking at. Because they, the, the directors were tossing out the, the last iteration. They are like, this isn't working. We need to bring someone else in. Um, and so Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio step in. And right now they're looking at how the genie can grant infinite wishes. You can wish for as many things as you want. And they were like, uh, we don't like that. It becomes this kind of addiction story. And now it's all about, I want something else. I want something else. And whereas if you put a restriction on it, now the value of each wish becomes much more powerful and more uh, problematic because you run out and now, and if you set up this idea that the genie is trapped and he needs a wish from the, his master, then now you have a, a, a drama and you have a crisis uh, and it's great. And so yeah, there's a lot of interesting things behind that. And so I'll link to that article that people can read. But there's a few tidbits that I, I, I kind of enjoyed because there's this really simple setup and payoff um, when Aladdin meets Jasmine. The guards are after them and he leans down and he says, do you trust me? And it sets up Jasmine's connection and recognition of Aladdin uh, for later on whenever he's on the carpet and he's pretending to be, you know, this prince. And he's inviting her onto this date and he leans down. He says, do you trust me? And it's you see that light bulb kind of pop off on her on her mind. She's like, yeah, I do. And it's very simple because it uses a few things. Obviously, the phrase itself, uh, the posture. But then they also cut to a very specific perspective, the POV angle from Jasmine's point of view to help the moment connect stronger. And it's selling the payoff that, yeah, this is her Aladdin. And of course, she tricks them at the end of their date shame a shame Abu couldn't be here. He's like, nah, you know, he doesn't like heights or fireworks. Uh, and she's mm-hmm. like, ha you are the boy from the marketplace. And so I really like that very simple setup payoff because you need something that gives Aladdin a moment where he could choose the truth. And instead he doubles down on the lie and he gets caught. And of course the, the carpet is right there trying to tell him like, hey, no, this is your... This, out with the truth. Um, and he chooses otherwise. And so it's just a really good way to kind of, uh, sink him further into, you know, his own little commitment to lies and to not being himself. Uh, there's also this other great little moment where we meet Aladdin and he's escaping the guards again and he jumps with the carpet. Uh, and of course it's not the magic carpet. It's a normal one, but on your first viewing, you kind of wonder, is that the carpet? And it's this kind of anticipation Uh, and it's fun it's fun to say oh this is the carpet maybe this is where it starts and then of course it's not he just kind of uses it to glide down but I think that's fun and that whole sequence of meeting him is interesting because it they're they're able to layer in multiple things and reinforce a lot of things about Aladdin and so like he runs into the royalty right after he gives his bread away to the kids and it kind of uh, allows him to be like Yeah, he's a thief, but he's not a bad person. Um, He's giving the meal that nearly got him killed. He's giving it away to these other kids who need it. And then he runs into this royalty, this this jerk on a horse who kicks him into the mud. And uh, it kind of cements Aladdin's place in society as worthless, a street rat, a vagrant. And it's the perfect moment, of course, after that for an interlude about his hopes. Uh, Right. He sings a song. There's so much more to me. And it's very quick. It's probably like a 30 second tune. And it allows us to exit Aladdin with hope and introduce the uh, Jasmine because now he's got his eyes on the on the palace. And that's a perfect segue to, well, what's in that palace? This there's this thing that he's hoping for. Let's figure out what's there, because what he's hoping for is actually in there. It's not the palace itself. What he doesn't know is it's the person within the palace and it's good. It's good use of music. It's a good segue. It's very simple. It's, it, it. Yeah. It's, it's a way to kind of uh, connect with Aladdin a little bit more um, on our, on our way out and into someone else. I like that. Uh, Aladdin tricks the genie out of a free wish, like, which also becomes that, that extra wish that sets the genie free. Like mm-hmm. his. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's his duplicity that becomes his freedom. Um, and that's kind of mm-hmm. nice. I like it. There's another thing that's just kind of silly, which is uh, when Aladdin's about to make his first wish, it's about winning over Jasmine. And, you know, Genie reminds him of the rules. He's like, I can't make anybody fall in love. Uh, yeah. and, and Aladdin's like, oh, but she's the best. You got to see her. And <laughs> Genie is like, uh, oh, and is she is she beautiful? Oh, you have no idea. And we cut to this reaction shot, wordless, but it's... Uh, the genie fluttering his eyes as Aladdin is swooning. And I just feel like, I wonder if they took this shot, They because they record a lot of that stuff when like the the voice actors are in the booth and they're acting with one another in separate booths. And I feel like maybe they referenced the little shot of uh, Robin Williams, who didn't say anything, but gave them a reaction. It's like, yeah, we mm-hmm. do want to use that because it's all about genie. He He gets it. It's love. He understands yeah. it. Uh, and I love that. It's like sometimes voice actors can still create something visually, even if that's not technically why they why, why they are uh, why they are there. For goodness' sake, I'm right. no voice actor. <laughs> and So uh, yeah. Anyway, last few notes here, and I'll read it verbatim. I'll link it in the article because there's a lot of fun tidbits. But there's this Word Player article where they kind of give you a quiz of what it's like to write for animation. And I'll just kind of cut to the chase here. The page count of a typical animated feature script runs no more than 85 pages tops on Aladdin. This is in the voice of uh, Ted Elliott. I want to say, or Terry Rossio. Yeah. Yeah. It's Terry Rossio who wrote the article. And he says that on Aladdin, we begged for five more minutes of screen time, five, just five in order to tell the story until we were told it would cost the production another seven or $8 million. Because in order to get more footage, they'd need to hire more animators or pay the existing existing animators huge overtime. This shorter page limit forces some story structure changes. It's all the more important, for example, to get the story going quickly and for scenes to serve dual or even triple purposes. Give yourself... Uh, this is his grading of the, the quiz. Give yourself three points if you picked uh, no script because... Before Little Mermaid, there was no such thing as animation screenplay, which I did not know, because uh, it over 4,000 pages on a, on Katzenberg's animated features. Each scene was written 40 plus times, and this is Katzenberg was the he ran the Disney Animation Studios, um, so he was like, if you write every scene 40 plus times, that's over 4,000 pages of screenplay for an 80 minute movie, uh, which is kind of crazy. So on the one hand. It is an 85-page script, but on the other hand, uh, because of how many rewrites you do, that's over 4,000 pages of script, uh, which is freaking insanity. Wow. Yeah. And so another thing which you and I would know um, was that dialogue on an animated film is recorded before the animation is drawn, but after storyboards, if possible. If you can record it after the storyboards, that's nice. Uh, And so the animators match their drawings to the delivery of the voice actors uh, which makes sense. You know, you understand the pacing of the delivery of the audio that helps you pace the, the scene as you draw it and also give you something to animate too. Um, but sometimes they may even reference a videotape of the actor's expressions that are shot during the recording session. Um, it's nice though, if the, do- if the storyboards are finished and at the recording session so that the actor can see the context of the performance, because if, uh, you know, you're Iago. If you're Gilbert Gottfried writing as Iago, and you don't know that you're in front of a pink flamingo and that you yourself are wearing a, a flamingo, you know, costume, uh, that probably doesn't make as much sense as being able to look at a storyboard. And you're like, oh, okay, I get what's happening here, and now I can kind of physically pretend to be you know, stuffed into this thing or like uh, when Robin Williams is having to act like his face is being crushed by Jafar. Um, and He's like, I'm new, your new master now. And he has to deliver this line. I was afraid of that. Like you need to feel crushed and, you know, smushed. And so being able to see that, you know, really helps to say, oh, I get what's happening in this one line, uh, let alone throughout, you know, 60 pages of script or whatever is happening. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's kind of how, all they have. I don't know, man. I, uh, one of the, I guess, other tidbit that we talked, uh, talked about before was there's supposed to be like 15 or 16 hours of Robin Williams outtakes because he would just show up and ad lib all of his scenes and want to do it again. And man, hats off to, uh, his other performers, you know, Scott Weinger and whoever else would, would be in a scene with him because, uh, Robin Williams going crazy and you having to respond to it uh, takes a lot of takes a lot of discipline because you have to be aware of where the scene is supposed to go and then how your character is responding to Robin Williams being outrageous. The genie is just doing all this random stuff and you have to plan on reacting to that and keeping in mind where I need the scene to go Um, because every part of you wants to try to match Robin Williams in energy uh, but you're not him. You can't be him. Don't try to be him. Instead, make sure you're Aladdin and Aladdin wants to win over the girl. Um, and so Jeannie is being outrageous, but I'm still thinking about the girl. Uh, and so you need to ride this crazy line of you know discipline and uh, spontaneity. And so, yeah, but all that to say that there's potentially a whole other film bottled up in here that you could re reanimate all this just based on how many other outtakes and uh, versions of scenes there are. Uh, that would be incredible to see, you know.
1: Man, I would love to see that. <laughs> be Golly. Can you imagine what what's in that? I know. I. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I wonder if they, I wonder if they had like a bunch of like really crazy stuff and they just couldn't put it in because, you know, this is old Disney, yeah, you know, and uh, things were different back then. Because now there, you know, there's there's Disney films now that are pretty, that are you know pretty hard, you know, yeah. for for like children and stuff. So I, I don't know. I wonder. I wonder what's in there. There's probably some pretty pretty raunchy stuff too yeah i
0: mean because why
1: not yeah that's robin
0: williams i mean our buddy joe told a great story about robin williams uh visiting an office that he was he was working in at one point and he got to talk to him for you know uh, a couple minutes and he was like hey we're working on this thing a map uh and we're having trouble naming uh, a couple of towns do you have any ideas for town names and he said he just riffed off like 20 ideas right there and none of them what? were appropriate. Like, They're all just <laughs> completely like R-rated silliness, you know. Um, and it was just. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. I could hear Joe tell that story like 50 times. <laughs> like, so he so he he met he him. Met wow. Him. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Gosh. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I it's interesting to hear you talk about that um, his presence in the in the film itself and how. I think it, he made it as good as it is, but yeah, maybe because it's animated. Cause when you see Robin Williams, it's a little different obviously than just hearing his voice and listening to that clip. Cause I can't see it on my end. Listening, just listening to that clip. I hear him way more than watching it. Yeah, You know, like when I'm watching it, I'm, I'm seeing the genie and it's, you know, the story's really great. So I'm like in it and I, it's the genie and, and, uh, uh Robin Williams is there, but he kind of disappears a little bit for me in the genie. but just listening to it, he's he's just in, it's just incredible how like he pops up in my in my mind's eye, right? um, but yeah, could there be someone else? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, sure, and it and the movie would still be strong and everything, but there's just something like I think untouchable about him and you you had mentioned before
0: they wrote this a lot of this script
1: for him in mind right
0: yeah and they did something just brilliant which was in order that because they were afraid they wouldn't be able to get him, and so they said Hmm. here's what we're going to do we're going to animate some robin williams stand up as if he's the genie and so they took like this little oh my 60 second segment sketched it out and, and made an animation. I'll embed it. And, like, it's out there. You can actually see this. And so I'll, I'll, really? I'll embed it in the show notes. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I want to see it. And that. Robin Williams saw it, and he just loved it. And he was like, yeah, I'm in. Um, and it's just such a smart way to demonstrate, like, we want you. We're not here to, like, uh, tell you what to do. And, in fact, he got into the, the booth and started recording. And they realized, yeah, we got to set them loose because... We can't keep him on <laughs> yeah. script. the word, It just isn't going to work. Like we're going to have to let him roll. And of course he did what he did. And I, I would be curious and I've never tried to look at the script before, but now I'm curious what the script said versus, you know, what ended up happening. And I wonder if that version is even mm-hmm. out there because a lot of times what people will do is, well, they'll take the finished film and then kind of rewrite it to match the film. Um, rewrite the script in order to yeah. match what, what you'll see. Instead of letting the script be yeah, I think we talked about, know, about that what was on, intended
1: on the nomad the
0: Nomad land episode, right yeah. yeah um, and it's interesting, but I'm always just curious like well, where did we start? I want to see the starting point because to me that's yeah, that's more interesting, like I get th- some of the purpose behind that, but I don't know, uh yeah, so he he did, I think you're right, man, like he just brings so much like in without looking at it yeah you can hear him but whenever you see it it's like yeah it's robin williams and it's the genie they gave him some of the same features like you can see robin williams in the genie but mm-hmm. whenever he gets to actually become like jack nicholson or a sheep um to kind of oh sell because he's always doing these voices right and to actually allow him to become those things it's just it's like this is robin williams in his purest form and it's yeah. animation like it's amazing yeah.
1: I do love how they, they give you so much information. Um, I mean, it's definitely a, a, um, a lesson in screen, screenwriting because they, they don't mess around, you know, immediately when he comes out of the, out of the, out of the lamp, he tells him the rules, like. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're not going to mess around here for five minutes. And then I'll, and then you do something and I say, no, 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 no. We're going to tell you, start telling the rules immediately right then. And that makes a lot of sense when you were talking about earlier about like, they can't have the extra five minutes because it's going to cost $8 million. Well, okay, well then we got to make the most out of the minutes we've got. And I love that. There's like, you know, there are some films that you can't rush. And then there are other films where it's better to, and especially in a movie, um, for me personally, especially in a movie where there's a bunch of music and singing and stuff. um, I You better fill the rest of it with information that's going to support what's, you know, what's happening around us, you know, and give me a little bit more context always along the way. Just keep throwing it at me. More info, more info, more info. And I think that they did such a great job at that. Yeah. Like there were some, uh, some scenes where I was almost overloaded with information to to remember about ba- basic rules of where they are the time they are the place they are uh, what's happening around them or to them you know constantly reminding that us throughout also that that you're messing up aladdin by lying you know try to not he had so many opportunities and he just ne- never chose to to tell the truth until he was basically backed into a corner, but they kept reminding us about that throughout, you know, and taking all of these little moments to like little nail here, a little nail there. Um, and then by the end of it, you have a building, you know, and it was, it it did feel like you literally couldn't cut a minute out of that film, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't have worked. And Everything would have. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't. And that feels, that feels good as a viewer yeah. of thinking like, okay, I gave you an hour and a half of my time and it was an hour and a half that fully needed to happen. Not, you you know, not two and a half hours where you could have cut 45 minutes out. Like that, that always bothers me. It always bothers me. I'd rather, look, I love watching movies, but I would, and I don't mind watching a three hour movie. You know, if it's good and it needs to be three hours, please give it to me. Lord of the Rings, I'll watch it all day. But, but, you know, if, if it could be two, make it two. Why don't ask for an extra hour of my life, you know, because then at the end of it, if it wasn't everything it needed to be, then all of a sudden I feel like robbed yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this movie didn't rob me of anything. It just completely kept giving and giving and giving. So
0: Yeah. And I've taken to that style of writing more and more um, over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll probably deviate at some point, but even just like the way I read off the the plot points, right? We were going to meet Jafar and find out what he wants. We're going to meet Aladdin and find out what he is versus what he wants to be. And then we're going to meet Jasmine and what mm-hmm. she wants. And I kind of start more and more that way. I'm like, here's my plot point. And then the beauty of it, it both gives me structure, but it also gives me a lot of space to play because there's a, a lot of ways that you can, you know, introduce a character and find out what's important to them. And for, You know, that easily could have been shifted to we're going to meet Jafar and discover that he's having a hard time getting his hands on the lamp. Like you can build that out a little bit more. Uh, And then it becomes like, okay, well, how do we demonstrate that? Oh, he's going to have a thief uh, try to go and get the the lamp for him. And the thief is going to get killed by the Cave of Wonders. And. He's going to get his next hint, like look for a diamond in the rough, like, okay, and there's these little breadcrumbs. And I like I've I've really more and more started to appreciate that, because once you do that, I think you can tell the leanest story possible. And once you realize, okay, I still have room to play. Now you can kind of go back and start thinking about. How can I flesh this out a little bit more? How can I support this story point? How can I add more depth, or how can I reinforce, you know, the villain? How can I uh, reinforce the the despair of my hero, et cetera, et cetera? Like once you kind of have the leanest story possible, you can start looking at where can I add meat. That rewards the audience instead of like just captures them and holds them hostage uh, because that's the stuff that you and I really don't like. It's just kind of wasting our time with stuff that doesn't add up to anything, has no entertainment value and also just, you know, feels like fluff and filler and just to, to I don't know, make the runtime a little bit longer. Eh, mm-hmm. We don't need that. Yeah, I'm good with 90 minutes. Why make it two hours if it can be 90 You better have a good excuse for sure. Yeah.
1: Then that's, well, their excuse is $8 million. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Right. Good thing. Good. Sometimes, sometimes not having money is good. It's funny,
0: man, because I more and more appreciate good feedback and in this case, like because operating like you were talking about at the beginning, like I operate in a silo for the most part when I'm writing a story and there's times when I know I need another perspective Uh, And that's so tricky to get that perspective because it could be bad advice. It could be a bad point of view and it could create an insecurity in me that begins to deteriorate my story and my confidence in my story. But oftentimes whenever you hear someone and this becomes the, the job of the writer is to hear a note and to decipher what's really at the problem with this note. Like someone might say, oh, you need to establish the rules And this is uh, an article I was just reading on WordPlayer that that I'm linking everyone to. And the note might say one thing, but you might say, oh, they're saying that the problem is we don't establish the rules. But what they're actually wanting is to understand why this character desires this other thing in the first place. And they think it's because there's no clear rules when, in fact, there's a lack of motivation that's underpinning the, the whole, the scenario, the situation. Um, and so it's, it becomes your job as a storyteller. And that happened on a film I worked on last year where the client came back and said, you know, it's, it's too dark. You know, uh, <laughs> that's my tendency is I write really dark stuff. And they were like, it's, it's too mm-hmm. dark. This isn't it. And I had to reconfigure their perspective to say that, okay, it's not that it's too dark. It, the problem is they want to, what they really want. Is they want to see how things can go wrong, even despite a, a person having all the best circumstances going in their favor. What's that look like? What's it look like when life falls apart despite everything going your way? Okay, now we got, a, we got a new problem to solve for instead of having all the people in their lives creating problems for them. Let's have all the people in their life trying to help, and yet their life crumbles anyway um, why? Mm. And so I completely, they never, they've never heard that. Uh, and I don't know if we'll ever, I'll ever tell them not that it matters one or another, but these are the things that you do as a writer. You just figure out what is their, what do they think the problem is and what is the actual problem? And you reframe it and you start writing from a completely new perspective. Um, wow. Yeah. So
1: that's awesome. That's a great example. Yeah.
0: Damn. Yeah. It was, wow. It was fun i mean it was a. was that in in the that was in the writing phase not the editing yeah phase. that was that in was the writing okay. phase um yeah and i had to rewrite a, like a 45 page script i was just like oh god oh. here we go uh, and i had to do it in like two weeks so
1: <laughs> oh man yeah it was a task they have no so idea you
0: can't so you can do it you can write a lot I, yeah like yeah. it's funny because the client didn't think it should take that long and i'm like oh my god guys yeah. bugger off for a little bit guys let me let me do my yeah just leave do. me alone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like are you kidding me it takes us that long to you know my at my job to write like little 90 second animation scripts like geez 45 yeah. pages give me a break
0: uh, oh that's hilarious anyway so i'm curious uh what are you going to recommend this week what's this other disney classic
1: yeah well you know <laughs> well it's not a disney classic oh, okay i don't think I don't think it is. Is it? Did Disney do this? I don't think so. Maybe you would know. Let me see. No, no, no. They didn't. Warner Brothers did it. But um, it's a film that I can't believe that we haven't recommended before or even done. Uh, but I went and saw it with my son like a couple of months ago. Uh, Iron Giant, mm. which is just, it's an example of a 2D movie done, you know, really really well, but like a more modern version. I think it came out in ninety nine. So, you know, much later than Aladdin and mm-hmm. um
0: one of the last you know, animations uh, like
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it completely holds up and it has some really big names in it. Um uh Jennifer Aniston's in it, Vin Diesel, Harry Connick Jr., and uh Christopher McDonald's in it too, surprisingly. Wow. But it's it's just such a beautiful story and I, I just tear up every time at the end of it and my son completely loves it we've seen it i saw i've seen it with him twice in the theater Dang. which is just awesome it's pretty cool so he he loves it and it's, it's just a really really great story one of the last 2d animations uh, animated movies so uh, because there's not a whole lot of those anymore i just like to try to keep it alive a little bit so yeah iron giant
0: that's very cool i'm gonna recommend a another animation as well this one is by the same team john musker and ron clements and it's called treasure planet and it's so good it's one of these little hidden gems that came out in 2002 still you know at the tail end of animated films in their in their peak but because of that transition i think it just got lost in the shuffle i never run into anybody that like seen that's watched this film but it's excellent. Like, it's really a fantastic film. It's all about, you know, the space version of Treasure Island. Uh, and it's, it's so good. I mean, it's got all the adventure and risk. And, uh, if you enjoyed Aladdin and you're like, you're looking for a a hidden gem that kind of speaks to that, that tone, um, definitely not, there's no Robin Williams in here. So, you know, bait your breath a little bit here. Uh, but, Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, it's got Joseph Gordon Levitt in it. Um, Martin Short, Emma Thompson. It's got some heavy hitters as well. Wow. Um, and yeah, it actually was also written by Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. I was just double checking because I'm pretty sure that's why I watched it in the first place. And it's yeah, I think it's just fantastic. And you will be pleasantly surprised if you went and uh, checked it out. And so uh, go watch Treasure Planet. I bet it's probably on Disney Plus. Um because I I'm pretty sure it's a Disney film, yeah. So go check that out. Awesome. And stay tuned for next week. We finish our little Robinathon, um, our Robin Williams little mini episodes here. We're gonna do uh, this one's hard. Goodwill Hunting. I have yeah. been putting this one off since we started this thing. It's one of it's the second most intimidating film. To do, and that might not be obvious to people, but it's just a, a film that I really respect um, and just have always hesitated to be like, oh, yeah, I can add anything remotely interesting to that conversation because I don't know. I feel like well, that's a pretty well discussed and known film, um, and short of, and my single most terrifying film to do. Uh, so, the top three, for the record, number three was Shawshank Redemption, which we've now done. Number two is Good Will Hunting, and the one that we will never do—I just don't see any reason to do it—is 2001: A Space Odyssey.
1: I knew you were gonna say it. <laughs> I knew it. I, I was gonna guess, and I yes,
0: yes. Like, well, we're doing uh, it. We're absolutely I gonna do not it. I cannot fathom that that film hasn't been picked apart a thousand times already. Like it's it's probably the most picked apart film in the existence of films. Like. You, w- more than you want more than citizens more than raiders of the lost ark um
1: okay well we have to do it because i've been waiting to watch it for the first time
0: i've never you've seen the not seen thing. it nope nope Ooh, that first viewing know, is right? a doozy um it's I kind know, of hard to watch i know so <laughs>
1: so so we should we should plan to do it right. as and i will give feedback as a first time viewer
0: that, that is interesting because I
1: like, it's, I'm afraid to watch it. I'm afraid to watch it because it is so, it's so iconic. Yeah. And so, you know, like, like game changing, uh, you know, everyone says that I'm afraid that, you know, for me who loves, you know, interstellar and, you know, like other, these other amazing space movies, will it hold up? You know, I don't know. But I think, you know, if I have a, a purpose to talk about it on the podcast, it would be really interesting. That is, I mean, oh. yeah, yeah, I don't. Okay, That's a, do, that's a good do argument. You have to be. And here's, here's the other thing
0: is that do you really have to say something new? I don't know. I mean, you know, I maybe not. I would. It's not that I would necessarily need to know that it's new. I just don't feel like, yeah, that. I could find anything new to to discuss. Yeah, I don't know. I I, that's all right. I bet people
1: haven't. I bet. (laughs) I mean, obviously, there are people that scour the internet for for critiques and reviews of 2001: A Space Odyssey, but I would I would you know not be surprised if no one has looked at a critique, an actual critique, or listened to an actual critique on that movie. Especially now. Yeah. You know, maybe one. So just because there are a thousand out there, I I don't think anyone's, you know, read or listened to a hundred of them. And so we're number 101, you know, it just, I totally get the apprehension. I, I absolutely do. But I would love to hear what you think about such an iconic movie like that. And like how it affected you personally. Maybe that could be the discussion. Maybe the discussion could be more about like, How it personally affected you and and what you do and how you do what you do, Hmm. because I think it's probably affected most filmmakers, right?
0: Most. Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't come to it until later in life. My brother watched it a lot uh, as a kid, but I never sat through it until I was a full grown adult, probably not even until like 10 or 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Hmm. It was when I finally watched it and it was just like, okay, well, that's a yeah. Okay. You know what? I think you've made a compelling (laughs) case specifically with your first time viewing experience because I predict I know exactly how that's going (laughs) to (laughs) go. Okay.
1: All right. We'll see. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Awesome. Nice. So yeah, don't forget to subscribe, drop us a review. um, Leave us a note if there's something you want us to cover. Shout out to all our Patreon uh, members. All uh, seven of you, I think y'all are awesome. And if anybody wants to drop a note on this episode, you can do that at the slash a legend. Just like that. Just like you that. have to spell it <laughs> just like that. Uh, we're going to leave
1: you with uh, a Miyazaki quote today. I think 2D animation disappeared from Disney because they made so many uninteresting films. They became very conservative in the way they created them. It's too bad. I thought 2D and 3D could coexist
0: happily. Man, that is, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's aggressive. It's aggressive and yet hopeful. It's like, man, because it it, he's not putting down 3D. He's just saying there's space for both of these uh, mediums to, to tell compelling stories. And he said something else. There's another quote that I'll just read off script, uh, which is, we live in an age when it is cheaper to buy the rights to movies than to make them. And I think that's kind of echoed, especially in Disney lately, like they just retold Aladdin in live action. They retold Beauty and the Beast in live action and um, a few others, you know, Mulan, whatever. And it's like it, it is easier. It's easier to just kind of go for the guaranteed kill instead of risk telling new stories. And Miyazaki, you know, is... Uh, Famed, right? Uh, Studio Ghibli, you know, Howl's Moving Castle and uh, Spirit of the Way, and a million others that are just completely original works um, and compelling. Like, but it comes at a risk. He has to risk, you know, telling a new story and something that maybe audiences are going to reject. But that's where the reward is. Uh, and maybe Disney hasn't been taking as many chances. They take some of those chances with Pixar, but with Disney animations, like the 2D stuff. Um, I think he's he's got a really interesting case in point, you know, well, maybe not a, a specific case, but, you know, they were just making uninteresting films uh, to some degree, and that made them shy away from 2D animations. But, you know, I'd love to see a resurgence because, and here's the thing and that I thought was interesting about this quote, is that it's not that people don't like 2D animation, you know, even though there's really no movies coming out that are 2D, there's still cartoons being made. Rick and Morty is 2D. I think mm-hmm. Simpsons are still being made. That's 2D. That's traditional. I bet Family Guy is still being made. Like there's a still a hunger, you know, uh, Adventure Time. That's 2D. There's still a hunger, clearly, for 2D animation and there there might be that space for it in the in film if people would take that that gamble i mean futurama was only recently canceled a few years ago um, for the last time but it got revived like three or four times for maybe four or five like futurama just kind of kept coming back it, you just couldn't quite kill it uh and i still watch futurama almost every day like that's usually how i go to sleep at night is i'll put on futurama and, and the familiarity and it gives my brain something to focus on while i drift away instead of you know having the uh the nighttime scaries come at you and Mm -hmm. it's it's settling and so yeah i don't know uh i think it carries weight coming from uh miyazaki i guess is my only real addition to that
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i agree couldn't agree more this is fun man yeah
0: my last thought uh it feels more appropriate here than next week was like robin williams uh, I was telling you yesterday mm-hmm. that my mom gave me a bunch of, uh, my elementary and childhood stuff. And I came across this book that was all my first, it was like my first time I said, I love you. My first haircut, uh, all of this stuff. And apparently I went to the movie theaters to see my first movie, like two months after I was born. And the movie I saw was Popeye with Robin Williams. Hmm. I was like, Oh that is so appropriate. I'm so glad. Um, I don't know that I necessarily love Popeye, but I love him as Popeye. and I love Shelly Duvall as, um, you know, olive oil. And that just really touched my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Ron Williams.
1: That's amazing. What a gift. Truly. Gosh. Wow. (laughs) I don't have anything to add to that, man. We talked about that yesterday, and I was just like floored. My job was on the floor. I can't believe it. No, too cool. We miss you, Robin, yeah. for sure. Gosh, there'll never be another one like him. Ah, oh, man. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, like Wes said, please like, subscribe, review, share us with your friends. All that good stuff. It's all. It all is important, and it helps us keep going. Um, I think we go without it, but it's definitely better with it for sure. Um, and join us next week. We're doing Goodwill hunting, so make sure to watch that episode or watch that film before the episode starts so you don't have to pause it beforehand. Until then, I am Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.